People talk glibly about science. What is science? People coming out of a university with a master's degree or a PhD, you take them into the field and they, they literally don't believe anything unless there's a peer-reviewed paper. It's the only thing they accept. And you say to them, but let's observe, let's think, let's discuss. They don't do it. It's just, is it in a peer-reviewed paper or not? And that's their view of science. I think it's pathetic. Gone into universities as bright young people, they come out of them brain dead, not even knowing what science means. They think it means peer-reviewed papers, etc. No, that's academia. And if a paper is peer-reviewed, it means everybody thought the same, therefore they approved it. An unintended consequence is that when new knowledge emerges, new scientific insights, they can never, ever be peer-reviewed. So we're blocking all new advances in science that are big advances. If you look at the breakthroughs in science, almost always they don't come from the center of that profession. They come from the fringe. The finest candle makers in the world couldn't even think of electric lights. They don't come from within. They often come from outside the breaks. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Monday, July 16, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. And it seems the mainstream corporate media is just absolutely melting down over verifiable facts. And as much as it's entertaining to watch, it's it's also very difficult and it. it, it it's an uncomfortable situation to realize how much control those people still have over some people's perspective. And, and they're it, wholesale lying or too dumb to know they're doing so. And that's an alarming thing. And we've made this point about COVID-19 and the, the hospitals and, and any number of healthcare workers, even people in different fields, where they pushed people out of these positions because they wouldn't take something we've now proven as dangerous. And what they did by doing this, whether deliberate or not, I believe it was, was they got rid of anybody with integrity, anybody that had any true understanding or outside perspectives and had the courage to stand up and challenge what everybody else thought. So you effectively got rid of anybody who had the integrity or knew better about these things being dangerous or being safe. And you were left with people that were either too dumb to know they were wrong or didn't care. I've made that point a lot, and I think that's a really important point about some of the things we're going to go over today. The clip in the beginning, of course, is about the general concept of, of this, this kind of consensus-minded view some people have of what science is. Now, as he made clear there, it's, that's academia. Both are, are very important. Peer-reviewed science is important, but it's not the only part of this conversation. Now, science in general is, the, it would more so specifically, it's the scientific method that we're always talking about when people reference science. It's the investigatory side of this. It's researching, it's objectivity, it's having different opinions and coming to your own conclusions about it based on the facts in front of you, not just going, what did everybody else think? And that's the biggest, that's the most interesting part of what's changed throughout all of this. So today we're going to talk about, to start, 
a follow-up on the ethnic bioweapon discussion, because just making this point to start off will carry a lot with the rest of the conversation today, how even the New York Times apparently is either too stupid to know they're wrong or doesn't care about the study we just talked about yesterday and show you why this is important and a couple of thoughts on what else I think might be happening with that. But we're then going to talk about conspiracy theory and the just ham-fisted way the corporate media is going about pretty much anything today. And also in this kind of outraged, like this, they're projecting a sort of desperation at the same time, like smug indifference. Like we're, how dare you not completely trust what we're saying? It's your fault if you don't believe what we're telling you. It's just, you'll see what I mean when we get to the clips. It's really embarrassing. But at the same time, it does show you that they see what's happening. And they and a lot of people don't think that they're losing clout or viewers because they're bad at their job or because they don't know any better. It's because they think that they're being people are being fooled by this massive conspiracy industry that apparently, as much as they want to belittle and say it's a bunch of people in their mother's basements, are somehow able to overcome the entire media apparatus, even though that's not actually what's happening. People are telling the truth or trying to, like the last American vagabond, and people crave that. And a lot of them don't realize that. So we're going to talk about this interesting overlap. But then the main part of the show today is going to be actually I took the part of the title today from something Spiro tweeted out, which is correct. I believe this, that what we're dealing with today is just simply eugenics rebranded as healthcare, Also, the climate agenda and all these different conversations, the trans agenda, the COVID-19 effort. And that's a very important thing to think about what that really means. And it's not just about depopulation. It's about a lot bigger than that. It's about engineering the human species potentially into transhumanism. That's what I think for their benefit. And none of that has to do with your health. Now, that doesn't mean every single person involved everywhere is of that mind. I quite frankly think it's a very small group of people. If not, you know, it's, it's not as simple as saying the government does this or these people. I think most people in the government positions don't even know what's going on. But we're going to talk about how that overlaps with the larger picture of what's being done and how it's being used to effectively achieve this end and artificial intelligence and climate change. And all of these are in in acutely interconnected around all this. And that's COVID-19 injections. That's all these conversations. And one of the real important parts that I want to, most of the show today, I think we want to pick through is, and it's not just because of the ingredient or even just the, all the ingredients. It's about the way the combination of how information like this, as much as we can show you peer-reviewed science and, and other information, is still disregarded, which is really interesting and speaks to the larger part we made just a moment ago about conspiracy theory and the corporate media. But we're also going to talk about what that means in regard to what that may be achieving. What does it mean to have the Internet of Nano Things? And how is that possible? Well, that implies there's nanotechnology inside people's bodies that can be used and connected with devices or interconnectivity of different infrastructure. That's what we're actually talking about. And so one of these things, as many people have brought up, that we're going to get into today, and whether or not this is something that's even there, is graphene oxide. But there's a lot of other topics around this. And the real point is, what would that achieve, first of all, if this was something inside people's bodies? There's an endless amount of peer-reviewed science that literally talks about exactly that. It's not some hyperbolic conspiracy theory as much as they want to make it out to be. Whether or not it's in this injection... We could debate that, but this is a very real topic that's, as far as I'm going to show you today, they're telling us it's the future of everything, including vaccines. But yet you bring it up in a mainstream conversation and you're a lunatic. How does that make sense? I think there's more to the story, whether it's graphene or something else, about why this is the connective part between 
the next step and where we are right now. And the Internet of Nano Things and how this brings us into this kind of weird nebulous. Like, I feel like we all kind of start to see how these conversations are interconnecting. Maybe before people haven't seen it. I mean, I feel, I've felt it this entire time. But things like climate change, climate change lockdowns, the artificial intelligence being used to effectively achieve these things and how that's going to be used to biosense and make sure they say you're healthy or that these things aren't hurting people or there's another pandemic on the way. All of that is needs some kind of interconnectivity. They need nanotechnology internally around the world to be able to make this happen. So you'd be asking yourself whether that might have already been done. Maybe that's what already just happened. All the hypothesizing aside, let's get into what we can prove, which is why most of you are likely here because of the fact that we always hinge on objectivity and the facts. And then, of course, I give you my opinions because that's important. But we'll always tell you when I'm doing so. So let's start today with a quick and because the obviously the transgender conversation, which we're not going to really get into today, is one major part. I mean, almost the most obvious, undeniable aspect of the eugenics overlap to all of this. And so think of that bigger conversation as we go through all this, because it's definitely related. But we just talked about this yesterday. Wall Street Journal confirms youth gender transition is pushed without evidence. And then, of course, the targeted ethnic discussion, which we'll get into in a minute. Just for those that didn't see it, it's not only true because the Wall Street Journal posted it. It's true because it's true. It's because there is no evidence. It is based, It is completely based on what they call the standards of care, which is put together by people that are already along with the agenda. Finally, there are people in the corporate media that find the courage to make this point. I argue the, this isn't even from a journalist. Otherwise, I argue this never would have happened. For some reason, Wall Street Journal found the courage to post this letter, but it wasn't written by their team. It was written by all of these different experts around the world. 21 clinicians from nine countries, many PhDs and doctors telling you this is dangerous. Read it for yourself. We went over it yesterday. Here's the show if you want to go through it again. It's very clear that they're, not only is there not enough evidence, they're, bla- they're straight up saying they lied about this. The, the, you, in, the endocrine society claims there's evidence and we looked at it and they're not it's not true read it for yourself guys it's pretty scathing and my guess will be that now wall street journal is going to be a transphobic conspiracy rag or you know whatever it becomes the moment they say the wrong thing like the british medical journal most high one of the highest regarded medical journals in the world becomes a conspiracy blog according to all the corporate media because they dared to point out the injections were dangerous but remember this because this is very important to the eugenics aspect and one last point russian parliament bans gender reassignment surgery for trans people. This was uh, two days ago. So again, just consider what you think that might mean. doesn't mean that Russia's good guy, U.S. bad guy, but there's different agendas and different perspectives here. And I think this is something that most people would probably agree with at this point, because even if you think some people might benefit from this, the bottom line is there is not enough evidence to suggest that there's the benefits even outweigh the risks. I thought they were all just screaming about that 10 seconds ago. Isn't that interesting? Now, let's start with, the ethnic bioweapon conversation, because we just literally yesterday went over this. And the way that the corporate media is sort of melting down about this as many as many other topics, it's it's again, sort of enjoyable, but at the same time, really alarming because a lot of people buy what they're saying without any due diligence. Now, RFK Jr. followed up. This was uh, today saying the insinuation by New York Post and others that as a result of my quoting a peer-reviewed paper, which is literally what he did, and I'll show it again today, I am somehow anti-Semitic, which seems to be this go-to argument for anybody that challenges larger narratives, is a disgusting fabrication. Now, which, by the way, is sort of hilarious in its own right, because 
Robert F. Kennedy has been clear. He's very pro-Israel. In fact, has said he'll be a champion for Israel to this very uh, 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 rabbi who he's endorsed before or has endorsed him. It's sort of the same way as calling Trump anti-Semitic. It's like a champion for Israel the same way. Most all politicians are. So it's, I think it's just a way of kind of showing them that we're going to use this tactic if you keep going in this direction kind of a thing. I understand, he says, the emotional pain that these inaccurate distortions and fabrications have caused to many Jews who recall the blood libels of poison wells. And he goes on to just, you know, make the argument that he is not anti-Semitic and that he aligns with bottom line. It's, it's, it is a baseless argument to say that he is. And it's silly. Now, he basically goes on to this to just argue that because he has stood by, I mean, it's very, you get the point. And I, I don't just, I just don't want to, I'm trying to be quick today and not read four more paragraphs. He, is, he hasn't been endorsed by this rabbi. He's been openly supportive of Israel and kind of even barely even mentions Palestine. So it's an interesting accusation. But here's what Benjamin Ryan points out. The New York Times reports that RFK Jr.'s claim that a peer-reviewed study backs his claim that COVID selectively avoids Ashkenazi Jews is false. The New York Times now, the only reason I say it like that is because the average person believes the New York Times is the highest level of journalistic integrity. Are they, do they call themselves the paper of record? I even forget what their ridiculous claims are. But he, this is what it actually says. And, this, well, and it's funny because this person goes, Ben, and points out what I said. And I'll come to that in a second. This is the New York Times. Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s COVID remarks raise questions of anti-Semitism. So really, before we even go forward, think about what they're saying. He put... He, lists off exactly what a peer-reviewed study says, and then points out a fact that both the U.S. and China, as well as many others, are in fact working on ethnically feckless bioweapons. That's not a secret. We've shown you the documentation. So how is the truth anti-Semitic? Well, we talked about this because they decide so. Because the truth is uncomfortable. So anti-Semitism or racism or or what's that? I'm trying to think of these hot-button things, you know, the white supremacists or these things are using, that that's what happens. Oh, you're a Nazi. Oh, you're a Russian shill because they don't like what you're saying with literally no evidence. But that's become very common for the journalists of the corporate media making absolute broad brush claims of people because you said something that they think is probably indicative of Russia talking point. Think about how childishly stupid that is. That's what they claim we do every day. That is what they have in spades right now in the corporate media. Here's what it says. A conspiracy filled rant. <laughs> Just Jonathan Wiseman. Make a note of these people, guys. These are not serious people. Not only is this person exposing the fact that he, one of two things I said before, he either does not have the ability to do any due diligence or doesn't care to do it or has and sees he's wrong. And again, doesn't care. Conspiracy filled rant by RFK Jr. That the COVID-19 virus was engineered to spare Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. He literally didn't say that. I'll play it for you. Has stirred accusations of anti-Semitism and racism in the Democratic candidate's long shot run for president. <laughs> Again, I'm not even defending RFK Jr. I just defend the truth. But long shot run? I, again, I get the suspicious feeling that we're almost being driven to support him. That's something we should consider. But I will still support the truth no matter who it is. Now, this is crazy. Long shot run. My point is that's not even remotely true. He seems to be doing reasonably well for most party people that aren't tapped into the mainstream. But well, let's just listen to his clip first. In sense, he wants you to think it's a conspiracy-filled rant where he says that it was engineered to spare these people. That's what he just said. The, the highest level journalism of the land. Here's what actually was stated. Genetic differentials among different races of the, um, of the receptors, of the ACE2 receptor. Um, COVID-19 is targeted to attack uh, Caucasians and uh, and uh, and uh, black people.
Okay, so what he said there is it's targeted to affect them more than other people. Not that it was deliberately designed to do that, but that just simply that it is, and that's a, that's at least backed up by the peer-reviewed science that he references. That's supposed to be the way this works. You can disagree, but if it was reversed, they would just be like, well, it's peer-reviewed science, so just trust the science, right? <laughs> of course. Now, he wasn't implying it was intentional, but you may, he may think that. The point is he then goes on to say that there, here are two groups that are working on, on ethnically focused bioweapons. Now, the fact that they either don't care to do it or are unable to discern through that and be like, well, he didn't say what the conspiracy theory, you know, is just sad. They're either willfully deceiving from the New York Times or too stupid to know they're wrong. The people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and, uh, and Chinese. And but not, we don't know whether it was deliberately targeted that or not, but there are papers out there that show the, you know, the, um, the racial and ethnic differential. <laughs> deliberately targeted, but not, we don't know whether it was deliberately targeted that or not. Quite literally says we don't know if it was deliberate. Quite literally on the clip and the only short clip that anybody has. Right. And that then that translates to the first paragraph that he says it was engineered to spare them. I just can't. I got I'll move past it. I just I feel like these things just don't get enough focus. Jonathan Wiseman should be dragged tarred and feathered through the social media sphere. That's pathetically stupid. They're blatantly lying because they want this to be the case. He goes on to say, but his suggestion that the coronavirus pandemic spared Chinese people and Jews of European descent strayed into new territory that struck many as bigoted again. So the facts, which are the facts, are bigoted. It's not new. We see this everywhere. You point these things out. Oh, there's not enough science studies behind the, the child transit. You're, you're racist and anti-trans. It's a fact. It's, it's just simple facts. Mr. Kennedy linked to a scientific paper. Here's the most important part that he said showed the structure of the COVID-19 virus made black and Caucasian people more susceptible. And ethnic Chinese, Finns, and Ashkenazi Jews were less receptive. Now, I, the Chinese part I still don't see in the study. That's, that's one part that I pointed out. But it then goes on to say, but the study he linked made no reference to Ashkenazi Jews. In his conclusions, were roundly dismissed by scientists. This is the New York Times. Now, here is the study he linked to. Now, you could take this one of two ways. Either the New York Times, because they are trying to be dishonest about this, said the study he linked to, knowing that he linked to one that only shows the abstract that doesn't have the term Jew or Ashkenazi in it. So knowing that they can pretend, well, he linked this one and they didn't mention it without, te- without really getting into the fact that the full study does, which I've shown you on the last discussion we just had. Right there, right? And so it goes into the deeper information that we investigated genetic susceptibility to COVID-19 by examining DNA polymorphisms on, on and on in H2 receptors. And the point is that you can see specifically the uh, it was African-Americans and non-Finnish Europeans were the highest, most susceptible because of their genetic makeup. And then the least susceptible were specifically Amish and Ashkenazi Jews. Populations do not appear to carry any of those variants. Well, look at that. It's amazing that we're able to find what the New York Times just wasn't, weren't able to in their extensive due diligence throughout the last couple of days. Is that what happened? I mean, it's really hard to be either they're lying or too dumb to know. But you could argue that they just want to go, well, the one he linked to. So when it, if it really came down to, they're going to, we didn't say the study didn't say it. We just said the one he linked to didn't. But you get the point. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even trying to give them an out. I think this is blatant misinformation or the fact that they're using people in these fields that don't care or know any better. 
So it's just, it's amazing, isn't it? So here's Brian Krasenstein that says, you know, this person that quite frankly, I don't even think is real as an Ashkenazi Jew. I have never had COVID. And he goes on to make this big point saying that this isn't true conspiracy theory and so on. And I just, do you ever bother to do even the most basic due diligence before you fall all over yourself to promote the mainstream narrative? Here's the peer reviewed study. Of course not. No response. Of course not. It's not about the truth. Not about the truth. Now, here's what RFK followed up today. Yeah, how, and this is important, guys, because I think we need to reiterate the fact that this was done without, they, they, this was like secret recording. I mean, there was no authority here. They just secretly recorded him and then put it up. Now, look, we could point out that, uh, that Project Veritas and, and James O'Keefe have been doing this kind of thing for a long time. Aren't they the ones that have been actively, well, maybe not the New York Post, but a lot of them have been calling out that that's bad journalism. The point is that this is supposed to be a faux pas, especially with a presidential candidate, especially when you're there as yourself. That's a different part. New York Post wasn't there pretending to be a date. They were there as the New York Post, or rather a writer, and they secretly filmed them. I mean, that's just petty and bad journalism. How devious are the mainstream media attack dogs, he writes. Here's the question. The New York Post and Levine, Levine Jonathan asked my press office what do you say to critics who might say might think saying coronavirus was a bioweapon made to kill white and black but spare jews might be anti-semitic he says of course saying that would be anti-semitic but i didn't say that levine is fabricating an opinion attributing it to me and trolling for scandal by cynically leveling anti-semitic charges levine devalues the term at a time when real anti-semitism is rampant what, but what's more, so in a way, he's kind of throwing it back at them, which is how this game is played. What's more, by using a radically charged term, sparing Jews with its biblical reference to Exodus, he is inflaming fear, hate, and suspicion. I demand the editors of the New York Post retract, and the L- Levine Jonathan apologized for his, I think it's Jonathan Levine, John Levine, yeah, apologized for his false, un- underhanded, and inflammatory article. I doubt that's going to happen. They don't care. Right now, you're allowed to do whatever you want to RFK Jr., because the community of the corporate fake news media is absolutely okay with it so it's just kind of it's just there's nothing sacred to these people we should know that by now so just so that's clear i thought that was an important reevaluation to show re- follow-up to show you that they're just continuing to blatantly lie even though you can prove that he's right and then listen to what he says and it's clear that he wasn't even saying what they say he is how do we exist in this fake world it's unbelievable well because of ridiculous people like this tom elliott points out that they sp- they're on uh, they're talking about unlike Fox News, my audience doesn't have conspiracy theorists in it. <laughs> what a, what a ridiculous hubristic statement! First of all, how the hell do you know what people think who are watching your show? You know what that's meant to do? That's a statement. If you're watching, you're not supposed to think these things because that's what this crap is about. It's about them influencing the way you think. Don't forget, Mika on Morning Joe said that more than once. It's our job to tell you what to think. <laughs> that's actually what they think. But watch this, how embarrassing this is. Of course, with Jankowitz over here, Miss Disinformation herself, these are all the disinformation experts, and that's a a dwindling field already because it was based on nonsense to begin with. Here's what they say. Sense the desperation in this because people are not listening to them anymore. Try and be a sensible consumer of information. Nina, but let's just talk about that for a second. I I just did that that, that intro to the segment. A sensible consumer of information. (laughs) What an Orwellian thing to say. Like, how about just show discernment and be a grown up? Like, what he's really saying is you should not look at certain people and certain things because we're not supposed to. 
That's crazy. Right. So that my audience would understand this conspiracy theory that I guarantee you pretty much nobody in my audience knew that story, because why would they? Uh, two segments. Except for the fact that quite literally everybody in their audience knows, because these people are the ones that are desperately trying to they, they point that they're the ones going. These people are killing people. My grandmother with their fake news. They all know about this because, in fact, they're the ones predominantly pushing the real conspiracy theories about the fact that these things. Well, I wouldn't even call it a conspiracy theory. These are just people that are blindly ignoring what we can prove because the theory is that that is a conspiracy theory. So an abstract conspiracy theory, I guess. But just think about how dumb that is. Minutes ago, I talked about um, red states and, and Bidenomics. Again, I'm not my, my audience doesn't have conspiracy theorists in it. Right. So what does this content war mean? What does this volume of information mean? I can sit here and, and, and book you guys on the show and we can debunk these conspiracy theories that my viewer didn't have in the first place. And, you know, and what they're talking about, especially with Nina Jankowitz and all the, you know, the, the COVID-19 injections hurting people that, you know, anything going to climate change, all these things are fake news. But there's absolutely peer reviewed science that says exactly what they're saying is not real. So at the very least, you could say that there's science that disagrees with that. But you see, the difference is their difference of their opinion is just simply fake news now. That's it. We've known this. This isn't new. And the people out there who are bathing in this this cesspool of conspiracy are not watching me. Yeah, that's that's interesting because we're watching you right now. You complete lunatic. That's exactly the problem. We're not reaching the target audience of those conspiracy theories. And and frankly, I think that's why Ray Epps decided to bring his lawsuit also to to get, you know, uh, back at Fox for the damage they've done. Right. Ray Epps, like pretty much the only person on video aggressively, multi-day, multi-times a day, go in the Capitol, let's go to the Capitol. And it's like the only one not charged with anything. But grandmothers are in jail right now because they walked inside. Like, it's just so pathetic. But also realize that when they talk about debunking, when's the last time you saw them actually debunk something? Whatever that really means anymore. They just go, this is fake, and here's what the real thing is. Moving on. That's not debunking. That's narrative management. You're going, don't think this, think that. Got it? That's what they do. That's what corporate media is. Like, let's think about it for a second. Talking about the injections, for example. What they, what do they do? When we say this is dangerous, they go, nope. CDC said, nope. FDA said are good. Here's the original thing they put out. It says safe and effective. And that's supposed to be debunking? We're showing you a peer-reviewed study that literally finds that these things are dangerous, even using their original information. And you point at the CDC that says, no, we disagree. That's the equivalent of pointing at the EPA saying, nope, everyone's fine in East Palestine, but they're all dying. <laughs> no, they're all good. Listen to the CDC. I mean, it's just this. this is, that's why I genuinely think these people, maybe if they didn't even realize that they were wrong, are starting to confront by by default because we're pushing it in them into their in front of them the fact that they're actually wrong like think about how dis uncomfortable that must be to have your i mean that's that's really cognitive dissonance at the end of the day but i'm not saying i mean for all we know most of these people know that they're lying but some of them must not and they might be uncomfortably bumping up against that right now which is good and that's why i've decided to sue fox as well for the conspiracy theories they spread about me i think there need to be consequences for people who are ruining people's lives lying for profit now, oh you mean like pushing covid 19 injections that you guys knew were dangerous on people that didn't want them yeah doesn't that count no only counts in one direction and realize spreading conspiracy theories is simply covered under free speech period even if you're lying so what they're saying is free speech is a problem. We can't just let people say what they want. <laughs> well, yeah, it's literally enshrined in the Constitution, but they don't care. Fortunately, uh, we can't sue members of Congress for the things that they say on the floor in the course of duty. But what we can do is go to the ballot box. So hopefully uh, your viewers, Ali, are all over the country 
and can go out there and vote, not just in presidential elections, but in midterm elections and in local elections, because that's how we show that we mean business. That is the real consequence that we have with our elected officials. And we have to say to them that we categorically categorically dismiss their lies. What a good answer that, that, that we do. The rest of us actually have some power in this, uh, whether it's a ballot box or going to our school board meetings where they're banning books. You know, we, we do. Isn't it hilarious how mothers who go to school board meetings because they disagree with policy become Nazis and terrorists? But now when they don't like it and it's the same thing in reverse, right, because they're removing statues and, and banning books that they think are aligned with fascism and blah, 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 blah. And that's okay, though, because we decide our morals are better than yours. So that's wrong. But when it happens in reverse, well, you're just a bad person. Well, how about you just have a different opinion? Is that not possible that they think morally your books are wrong? Nope, nope. They're just Nazis and they don't understand. Think about the hubris in that standpoint. But guys, this is the two-party illusion. People on the right think the left are pedophiles. and It's the same thing. The right thinks, the left thinks the right is white Nazis and supremacists. It's, it's absurd. We live in a cartoon, just like Steve always says. I mean, that's probably the closest thing we can get to. It's, it's hyperbolic. It is completely ridiculous. And these people likely believe it. They believe in themselves. And they're deluded. You actually have the vote and we have our voices. So even if you're not subject to this stuff, fight it. If you, if you have a voice, fight the nonsense that's out there. Thanks to both of you. So it's we're desperate to stop free speech because that's all they're talking about here. They're only they're talking about conspiracies. So we need to fight your ability to be able to say what you think. And if they think that thought challenges what's supposed to be said, I mean, that's it. That's quite literally what they're doing. How is that not a violation of the Constitution? How is that not chilling as hell? It's a public conversation, guys. That's terrifying to me. Here's the next one. Clinton, something interesting that that um, there's enough av- available information to sort of make your case no matter what your case is. But now in 20- look at the lower third, some members of the House push unfounded theory that FBI instigated January 6th riot. You know, aside from all the facts and evidence that literally show that. But, you know, <laughs> conspiracy theory. 2023, we're dealing with not just available information, but invented information. There was an incident the other day where Bill Browder, the, uh, you know, the, the, the author who, who spends a lot of time talking about Russia, uh, Bill Browder was deep faked in an interview with uh, Petro Poroshenko, the former president of Ukraine. Like it was an invented conversation that now gets put out there. And how many times have I told you this was coming? We all see this. It's not unique. I'm not the only one that said this. But remember, I, this is like recently, I believe this is the year this is going to start blowing up. I, I haven't seen that video, but this is what I'm talking about. So here's two. We can either think of it one, one, or, one of two ways. Either that's a real video and Brower is pretending it's fake so he doesn't get accountable, get, be held accountable for it, or it is a deep fake. And yet it's still being spread. And then people dispute it. So the people that want to believe it will pretend that people saying it's fake are lying to themselves and shilling for the other side. And people that want to believe it's real or, you know, whatever, the reverse. It's, it's, it's impossible, right? And that's the two-party paradigm. That's not the average people outside of that. People don't act ridiculous like that that aren't lost in p- team sport politics. This is why I harp on this so much. But I'm telling you, this is going to become more important. But guess what he gets into next is hilarious. So the people that are supposed to be the fact checkers, right? That's what they frame themselves as. That's literally what Nina was supposed to be doing. And the journalists in general, as they also incorrectly frame themselves, are supposed to be out there what? Researching, investigating, right? Isn't that what they're all supposed to be doing? Listen to what he says here about the deep fakes. 
And guys like me, we don't know how to make tell the difference between a, a, a faked video and a real video, uh, particularly in this this age of AI where it can mimic your your actions and your voice. So we're now. Well, we seem to be doing okay. We seem to have been sussing these things out. You know why? They don't do that. I really want to stress that point, guys. The illusion they sell about this infrastructure of invest. I mean, there are people that investigate, even in corporate media. But the reality of most of these people is they toe the line. They may even be deluded enough to think that they're doing research when they look at what the CDC said that day or what their talking points that have been handed to them are. But the point is, you're literally going, I don't know how to do that. How do we tell the difference? Well, you do your job, dummy. That's how you do it. Or you don't post it when you don't know for sure. But you see, they don't do that. If they see a video that makes Trump look bad, they post it no matter what. You know this or any, other, any number of other examples. How embarrassing. And this is why we're boxed out of all of this like a lot of independent media are because we make them look ridiculous if you're just barely objective with a little bit of integrity. Now, not just dealing with available information, which my, you know, my, my crazy uncle at Thanksgiving used to be able to do. Now we're dealing with real stuff that becomes hard to disprove. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, again. <laughs> right, so it used to be back when we just had to look at the news that day and just regurgitate what we were told. That's the good old days. Now we've got real information that we have to research. Isn't this a problem, Nina? <laughs> I, I don't think he thought this one through. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Ali. And I mean, I think we're headed toward a really scary situation in the 2024 election um, mm -hmm. as the Republicans continue to make efforts to push back on any sort of counter disinformation initiatives. Right. So in this case, I would side with anybody saying that because they're stopping you from censoring people. Like, think of the absurd reality that she's quite literally saying we're trying to violate the Constitution and they won't let us. What's wrong with these people? you're violating the Constitution and you don't care. I mean, it's as simple as that. There's just, you don't just get to go danger things so Constitution no longer matters, shall not be infringed. I mean, come on, guys, they just don't care. Like the Second Amendment or any number of other things. And there's, other, there's comments to be made from the other side from the right too. It's the same way this game is played. None of them actually care about this. Well, most of them don't seem to. So what they're getting at here is that, well, we, we, it's dangerous. We have to stop these people from being able to say what they want to say. And the 2024 ele 24 election is going to be a Focal point. I, I mean, we've already heard it. It's, it's, we're, we're getting into the time where it's going to be said over and over. Most important election of your lifetime, like every other election for the last 40 years. But, but this one, it really is this time. <laughs> uh, we just saw last week, you and I talked about that injunction against the Biden administration from talking to any social media companies. There's been a temporary stay issued in that injunction. Uh, but I think we're going to see probably that uh, ruling upheld as it gets heard in the Fifth Circuit. And I just worry, you know, conspiracy theorists, you know, there are people who, who fall into them for comfort, for community. But the people who are peddling them, like Tucker Carlson, for instance, are in it for power and they're in it for profit. And what you said. Right. Because you can read Tucker's mind. You, mu you must have you must be a mind reader, Gene Nina, because you can just tell what he thinks. Look, like, let's not skip past that. Like, th that's the kind of, like, I will often tell you what I think about what people's intentions may be. And, I mean, maybe I've even said that in passing without being clear about it. But you know where I'm coming from. And I, if I did, that was a mistake. But the point is, we should never be like, here's what he thinks. Here's how he feels. Here's what Putin wants to do tomorrow. Why are we taking these people seriously? Look, sure, I'm, I'll point out any day of the week that I think Tucker is a lot, in a lot of ways, like a, most partisan players are, maybe if they don't even realize it manipulating you by using half-truth, limited hangouts, and partisan-leaning narratives. 
but I'm not going to pretend I know what he wants. That's really stupid. Just before the break about, you know, uh, our elected officials who are are engaging in these theories and giving them amplification in the halls of Congress. That is something that is really, really sickening to me and something that we need to demand of our officials that they do better with. Well, don't forget, this woman got pushed out of a position that got discontinued, at least in that specific frame. There's like five other versions of it now that popped up around it, which is probably the real point. But it's because Americans didn't want it. Not left, not right, but Americans. Just like most other topic when you really look into it, that we're being deceived about the left-right paradigm. But how embarrassing. This is the level of corporate journalism, and that applies to Fox News too, guys. And of course, I'm going to skip this because it's long, but it's a funny video. You should watch out. MSNBC cesspool of conspiracy theories. So they're up here talking about conspiracy theories, but we don't talk about Ukraine or how often there's been fake news that have come out of there that literally every corporate media platform shares, like the Poland missile that they went, whoops, we're wrong. That was a fake news story, right? They don't care about that. Or how about Russiagate entirely? Or how about any number of things we could continue to go over? Or, I mean, going back, NSA spying, lithium, or I would say lithium, which is probably true too. Uh, uh, fluoride in the water. Glyphosate. Do you realize that every single one of these things were completely dispelled as conspiracy theory until they were proven? And then it was like, but it's good for you, though. This goes into 200 plus, 260 plus times where they're saying Russian bots, Russian bots, Russian bots, Russian bots, Russian bots. The story was completely shown to be false, guys. It was not a Russian. It's a, bottom line, watch it for yourself. But these people don't care. MSNBC, Rachel Maddow, really? And they're pointing at you. Well, let's start with the climate change part of this. There's a little quick point here, and then we're finished with the most of the show after this about the graphene oxide point and how that overlaps with AI and where this all seems to be going. I thought this was an important clip, though, because this does connect to all of this, because my point here is to show you just a really quick example of how easy it is to dispel the, the lies, the grifters coming out of the climate change narrative, and how that overlaps with what they're pushing for artificial intelligence and how that is the the linchpin to the to what's in my mind going to be used to justify the use of graphene oxide or things like this because it may be a different version of something to create the internet of nano things and I'm, i'll show it to you there's probably people watching right now that are shaking their head oh conspiracy theory i'm going to go through a countless amount of peer-reviewed studies that literally talk about exactly this point it's not new it's entirely for exactly for vaccine delivery systems or exactly for biosurveillance it's not a secret or a conspiracy theory. Whether it's in the injection, that's what we can debate. But let's go back to this, and this is all connected. Steve Malloy points out, Representative Scott Perry crushes John Kerry on climate at the House t- uh, hearing today, the 13th. It's a great clip. I'm, I might stop it a couple times, so let's watch this. Thank you, Secretary. In an attempt to get to net zero by 2050, do you support the administration's goal of cutting U.S. emissions in half by 2030? Uh, Yes, I do. Secretary, in 1997, the Senate voted 95 to zero, including you and then-Senator Biden, in favor of the Byrd-Hagel resolution, which resolved that the U.S. shouldn't cut emissions until China, Mexico, India, Brazil, South Korea, and other so-called developing nations cut emissions as well. Do you remember that? I do very, very well because I was managing it and on since, the floor of the Senate. Since uh, 97, have emissions from China, India, and Mexico all increased? Yes, as yeah. they have yeah. from the United States. And, and global and emissions have continued to increase as well, right? Yes. Have any of those countries submitted a credible plan to get to net zero emissions by 2050? Which countries? Let's just go with uh, China, India, or Mexico. No. 
it seems that have you abandoned your position that those other nations would cut emissions before Americans would have to make choices between the groceries on their table and paying for for these policies? I think the reality is that the world changed in that period of time. Let me let me explain. Okay, to you. so you know, so you me, voted that way, but, but you let me explain your... to you the vote because I did manage this on the floor, and I know exactly what happened because I'm the one who said to our colleagues, I think everybody ought to vote for this. And the reason was that it fundamentally had the message that it's not fair. The one we were talking about earlier with the chairman, it's not fair for us to be reducing and China, which was producing three times more emissions than us, and then producing goods that come into our country from that dirty power, and we have a problem. So we wanted to address that. But we knew not every aspect of that piece of legislation is what you, you all call, we all call, a message. It was a message vote. And the vote was clear. We wanted other people to join us in the effort to reduce emissions. Okay, fair enough. That hasn't happened sufficiently. It hasn't happened sufficiently. No. sufficiently. Now, Secretary, in 2015 at the Paris Climate Conference, you said that if all industrial nations go to zero emissions, it wouldn't be enough. And then at the White House's Climate Day in January of 21, you said almost 90% of the planet's emissions come from outside the U.S. We could go to zero tomorrow, and the problem isn't, isn't solved. And in April... 21, you told the Washington Post that even the U.S. and China going to zero emissions tomorrow won't solve the climate's problem. Then in April of 21, you said that global net zero is not enough and that CO2 must be removed from the atmosphere. How much is the correct amount of CO2? Let me explain to you, if I can, so you understand exactly what I said. It, it, it's close, but it's not quite exactly what Would, I was saying. Can you what just I'm tell saying, me what let, the let me tell you what I'm saying. Is. I'm going to tell you what the correct. Here's how, how it works. Because we have put, I'd forget the exact number of tons, millions of tons of CO2 and other greenhouse gases are now in the atmosphere. They're there. And every day we're adding more. And so every day the heat is going up and we have to figure out how we're going to, you know, tame the, the monster here. The only way to do that is to reduce emissions on an ongoing basis to get control on the current level of emissions that we have created. But then, what is then but, but actually what is the correct, suck? Sir, with all due respect, to, you've been through this before. Finish. What is the correct amount? I don't want to spend a bunch of time about a history lesson about. He does this all the time where he trails off on this abstract explanation about acting like nobody understands but him. Now, you can certainly argue that's certainly possible that the person talking right now doesn't understand the science as well as Kerry. I don't believe that. I think that Kerry often presents himself as some kind of inside, like, and a lot of this community does, that when, when you get the kind of pushback you're about to hear, that all they do is go, well, you're wrong. I just, quite frankly, you're completely wrong. Well, and the point is, when you really flesh it out, there's not even like a valid, just what he says is absolutely true. And the idea is that there's just this, it's, it's like a lot of these conversations, it's like the trans conversation right now, where the argument really becomes that you just, you're just a bigot. You're just uninformed and you don't understand. And that's where it stops. Well, there's no long-term studies. Now you just don't understand. It's working. It's helped people. It's the same thing here. And you'll see what I mean. Things that people don't care about. What changes every what, day? I, don't, the, I can't tell you exactly correct what amount it is. Change it's in the, there, yes, so, it does. So, Secretary, you probably know that for approximately 200 million years, what's the, what's the parts per million now? About 400, right? Can we it's agree over on that? 400. All right. It's about, about 200 million years. 2,000 parts per million. Did Mother Nature get it wrong for 200 million years? Here's the difference, Congressman. 
The difference is, yes, there were, ma there were periods which all scientists, all the scientists who deal with climate acknowledge that there have been moments on the planet which is billions of years old in which there were greater heat and there was greater... Tell me the difference dioxide. quickly. I've got a little bit of time. The difference is human beings are creating okay, so this. That's the so how exactly is carbon, di carbon in the atmosphere produced by humans different than other animals? Like, aren't you telling us that cows producing that is the biggest problem? I would pretend, like, how do you even make sense of that? So the human aspect to this is the, is the big, like, it just, it blows my mind that it's not, what, what humans produce by their byproducts from all sorts of things they do is the same kind of thing we've seen historically. I, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Difference. So human beings are, we are creating 300,000 years old, but, but during these periods of time where it was 2,000 parts per million Life existed. As a matter right. of fact, we not, were in not one people, of the lowest not, periods. Not human beings walking around. We're in no. one of the lowest periods of carbon in the atmosphere in not only recorded history, in the history of life existing on the planet. In December of 2022, you told the Washington Post we need to remove 1.6 trillion tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere via direct air capture. The cost for that is about $1,000 per ton or $1.6 quadrillion dollars now i said that. you said you didn't know but since 2015 since the last el nino about 500 billion tons have been have been emitted into the atmosphere during that same period of time 2015 if you look at the temperature graph this is from noah the temperature has gone down show the okay so just so you don't miss that he says it real quickly. The point is, there's seen, what is he, 500 billion? Hold on, let me get the number right. For that is about $1,000 per ton have been, have been emitted into the atmosphere. But since 2015, since the last El Nino, about 500 billion tons. 500 billion tons have been added to the atmosphere. 2015, so we're in 2023, and the temperature's gone down. At best, that's an anomaly that we're like, well, yes, but it's going to go back up. Well, at the very least, you can see that it's not – that doesn't add up. And that's all you get with this conversation is a bunch of narrative and a lot of scientists that flat out disagree with that, right? That's why I played this science part in the beginning. It's not about the consensus of people lost in the paradigm, but the scientists that are willing to stand up and make the argument that there's – the consensus is wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that they're right. But the point is, with any of these conversations, the corporate discussion is ignoring them entirely. In fact, if you stand up and say anything that takes a beat outside their path, you are dangerous. Any of it, COVID-19, Ukraine, I mean, every single one of these conversations, climate change is quite obvious. Have been, ...have been emitted into the atmosphere. During that same period of time, 2015, if you look at the temperature graph, this is from NOAA. The temperature has gone down. Show the next slide. This is from NASA satellite data. Temperature has gone down. You want to have the, uh, have, uh, the American taxpayers, my constituents that are having a hard time afford their groceries, pay for a car, buy a new home, spend $1.6 quadrillion to fix a problem that, A, doesn't exist, and as a matter of fact, you might be exacerbating because it's unknown. It is unknown at this time the low level that of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that might actually destroy life. That's such an important point that none of these people even engage with. It's, it, I mean, and then they even think about how that makes sense. Carbon is necessary for life on this planet, for plants, oxygen. So if they remove this to the point that they're talking about, it's at the very least possible that we could do far more damage and destroy the earth. You know, same like blocking the sun for our benefit. Like, it's just, it, it, these are dangerous people. Because 
Plant life <clears throat> all depends, as you know, Secretary, plant life all depends on CO2. And when we kill it, then we're done too. I yield the balance. Congressman, yeah. let me just say that uh, I don't agree with what you're saying out there for any number of reasons. I don't have time to go into all of them now, but I'll just tell oh, you. Of course, of course, for, because reasons. Don't you understand? You're wrong because reasons, guys. Point blank, that the difference between the periods you're looking at in terms of heat, et cetera, and human, human input is night and day, number one. Number two, why do you think 195 countries in the world this is the point. They're prime ministers. They're presidents. Because they're grifting they're, like you are, sir. <laughs> this, uh, that's a pretty shocking statement, that you believe that all the scientists in the world nope. are grifters, honestly. Not See, again, that, that the kind of thing that's happening at RFK. Did he say that? He said the people that are pushing this, just because you want to say 98%, I mean, quite frankly, I don't even think that's clearly not even accurate. It's the same reason they say every doctor agrees the COVID vaccine is safe. That's not true. You just don't consider people that challenge this as scientists. That's how this works. You think climate change is not real. Well, you're a conspiracy. You're not a scientist. Well, yeah, they are, though. And most of them are the ones that are quite literally proving that this is not what you're saying it is. And they just, well, you're, we don't listen, though, because you have the wrong opinion. Not all scientists agree with you, Mr. Seth. 98% of all the scientists in the world. Science isn't about agreement. It's not about consensus. You know that. Well, right. now, that is what they're trying to push now, right? We saw... Top Neil deGrasse Tyson pushed that nonsense. It's about, I care about consensus. Well, you, then you care about being driven by group think, not science and the scientific method. You should be, they should all be embarrassed by pushing this concept, which it shows you who they really are, in my opinion. Well, we just showed you yesterday that in Israel, they've begun what, what is arguably climate lockdowns, right? Because of serious extreme weather conditions, which are really not that much more extreme than any you know, high heat year in the past. <clears throat> They've now started to shut down certain areas. That's what this is. Like, this is going to start to happen, guys. We are watching the climate narrative get pushed. We just, we, I'll include the tag where we've gone over the climate lockdown possibility in previous shows. Make sure you check those out. Now, here's another aspect of this. Like, going into the eugenics and, like, possible depopulation mindset. Like, realize that we're being driven in this direction. In a direction that is damaging to human life. And in every other aspect, these things are hurting us. The injections they're giving are destroying your immune system. The foods they're pushing are destroying your immune system and your health and everything else. They're putting things in your diet, in the air, in the food, in the, in the, the water that are actively causing your body to change in, in endocrine disrupting chemicals, seed oils that they're using, which are meant not for your body. All of this is easy to prove. So the group that's screaming about your health seems to ignore everything other than pharmaceuticals for your health. Think about what that means of plant-based foods versus $15 of animal-based foods. Let's see what kind of nutrients you get and compare. In and don't forget the impossible and plant-based and, and even the lab-grown chicken foods and stuff that we've already talked about, which is horrifyingly concerning to me, is all about the idea of climate change. That's the stem point. That's what it stems from because, well, we got to stop cows, right? Even though we, you know, anyway, I just made the point about that. But so here's the comparative points that I think are important. $15 of plant-based foods, you get soy protein, pea protein, you get seed oils like canola, and you get methyl cellulose, which is basically wood shavings. And you get a whole bunch of synthetic added vitamins because these foods have no intrinsic nutrition. In animal foods, you have single ingredients. You have beef. Now, that's important to remember, like even like the idea of the... Uh, you know, hormones versus the natural hormones versus the injected stuff. They're not the same thing. As much as they're the same chemical at the end of the day, it's like pretending that, Mer uh, you know, uh, what is it, Meridol, that, that cannabis pill they made is the same as cannabis. They argued that, but it's not. 
they plucked out the one chemical and, and, and it hurt people. In fact, that's why they stopped using it. How is that? Because it's not the same thing. So when they tell you they have these art, the inserted vitamin, like, you know, vitamins are, are a lot less concerning to me than a lot of the other things, but realize that they insert these artificial things that they then gen- manufacture, genetically modify, and they just write, oh, but you just think it's normal. It's not, though. Organic and whole foods, not the store, but the general concept of whole foods, your own grown vegetables, and me, that's where this new, we need to revert back to a long time ago. That's how our minds need to be. All these conveniences are not about your health. In fact, they're quite counter to that. Beef, eggs, and milk, one ingredient for each of those, and you have tons of real nutrients that are helpful for humans. Choline, carnitine, answering, taurine, vitamin A, E, B12, K2, bioavailable calcium in the milk, riboflavin. Those are nutrients actually found in those foods, not added like synthetic vitamins that you'll find in plant-based foods. So in my mind, there's no comparison here. There's 15. They're not, they're, there's literally just no comparison. They're not the same thing. You're, the argument is that you ultimately would take something less healthy, less nutritious because climate change. But they're not really telling you that. not really selling it like that. But that's what we're seeing everywhere. Now, here's where we get the overlap. Here is the UN Secretary General, General Antonio Guterres telling you that we have less than 10 years to solve the sustainable development goals. And AI holds a great promise to advance these sustainable development goals. Together... Let us make sure we use artificial intelligence to enhance human dignity and serve the global good. Except for the fact that pretty much every, and I mean, I I think almost every large study that's been done on the potential for artificial intelligence to affect human rights have shown you the exact opposite. That this will drive in in, in disparity and, and insecurity and uh, inequity I and mean, the exact opposite. They find that this causes people to be divided based on status and cause, I mean, across the board, all these things they're driving have been shown the op, but they just tell you they're going to do it differently. It's very clear. Oh man, before I forget this, I just happened to see this just now in the chat. Oh, I, I, somebody, Somebody Orwell saying that they're noticing that labels are going away and in place they're putting QR codes. Man, that's that's terrifying to me. That this I, that's a perfect way to get people for they go, oh, well, you want labels? Well, there you go. You got to use your QR codes. That scares me. Those things are so wildly insecure and things can be added or taken information wise to your phone. I, we, I've done entire focuses on this. That's not even that's let, let alone the, that you even get the right QR code. Somebody could stick codes over those things or it could be inserted with something they don't know about. It, this is crazy to me. This, we're being driven in this direction. Anyway, it, follow up with that. Somebody send me something on that because I'll talk about it in a future show. That's where this is all going. Oh, sorry. I was missing. This is AI to analyze vast amounts. AI to map poverty. AI to increase, analyze vast amounts of healthcare data. That's what this all comes down to. AI, revolutionize classrooms, learning, health, everything. Everything. Efficient, clean water. Now, I'm going to get into a point with clean water and graphene in, the, in a, probably another show. because I wanted to focus on this one part today. But I'm really concerned about this. It's being pushed for water treatments right now. All over. It's not, it's not even new. It's been five years. Filters. But now we're seeing things about actually using it in water, like lakes and rivers, to clean them. Isn't that interesting? Suddenly when they wake up and go, oh, finally you got us. You're right. East Palestine's terrible and they're suffering. But guess what? We have a solution. That's how this tends to work. I just think about that. We're going to come back to that in general. But this now it says uh, improve 
energy capture, improve production, like all oh, the things they're telling you are already in the future. <laughs> but we got to improve them because they're not working. So let's use AI. It's like problem, reaction, solution. AI to drive industry, innovation, build more inclusive societies. Great. Because we need AI to tell us how we're supposed to include. And you know, like that, that, why would, that, that's so alarming to me that we're talking about artificial intelligence to create inclusive societies to predict optimum production levels, to reduce waste. All the whole point, all of this is going to be used to tell you how to live your life. They're not even secret about that. That's all the idea of telling you that you have to get the injection because it's better for society. They've already pushed this general concept. All of these are, these are all, and you can see up top, 16, 17. These are all the different goals. AI to empower multi-stake partnerships. Do AI to just reduce discrimination and corruption in the government? Hardly. So the point is, guys, all of this is about driving the idea of healthcare. The guy the, using artificial intelligence to improve your life, right? And that in healthcare is one of the most alarming directions to all this we've already seen. But the part that is important to me is where this becomes important is regarding the artificial intelligence overlap with the Internet of Nano Things. Here's a study that comes from uh, 2023. This is from a couple days, three days ago. Leveraging artificial intelligence in the fight against infectious diseases. So that's not a secret. We already know that. They, so how exactly does that make sense? Ask yourself that. How would they use artificial intelligence to fight disease in your body? Now, somebody might say, it's all just about research. Well, that's part of it, sure. But that's not what they're getting into. You can read the study for yourself. This is about the, inter, the, the, the Internet of Nano Things, I, the I-O-N-T. Now, I just picked this study because we've talked about this already. And this is in regard to face masks. It's not a new thing. They're talking about using nanotechnology inside the material, the face masks, to improve the way that they work. But why would they need to do that? I thought they were already working. (laughs) Of course, you know that point. They don't. And this is possibly why they're doing it. Either way, it seems to be inserting all of this. That they need nanotechnology, nanoparticles, nanobots, nanotransistors in all of this, inside your body, in the air, in the water, to keep everything better, to make it better, to make it safe. And maybe that's the case. Maybe I'm wrong and I'm scaring people away from the future of a utopia. Frankly, I think that's ridiculous. These people don't care about your health and they've made that abundantly clear. So what else would they what else might they be doing? I've talked about the meshing of people's minds of the idea of trying to use that to create the singularity. This is something that they've openly talked about and we already know that that's part of what's happening. We've talked about the stitchable electronic mesh inserted into your brain that Charles Lieber's working on. As late as soon as as, as early in April of 2023, totally not in prison, still working in time from moment he got arrested to right now has never stopped working on this exact kind of research with Chinese people. How does that make sense? Because there's something else going on there. The point, though, is that the health aspect is what I think will drive us into this field. Now, before we even get into the graphene oxide or other versions of what might be used just on this study, this is from 2022 about internet of nano things driven intelligent face masks to combat hazards. FMRs are face mask respirators. So it's kind of the combination of all of them. And look, just get interesting points you might find plucked out of this. When it gets into the concept of what's being used, it says the use of metal nanoparticles in nano mask manufacture majorly enhances its anti-pathogenic activity. Not even getting into how these might be a dangerous risk to you, because all of these in particular oxide or even more particular graphene oxide are more dangerous than their their original counterparts. But it, well, who cares, though, because it has a better effect. It's like saying, well, look, 
increasing increasing the antibodies or the lipid nanoparticles for the injection make it more dangerous. But look at all the antibodies it produces. Oh, my God, what a strong antibody response. So the benefits outweigh the risk. That's how this game is played. That's not the case. They're not even sure if they're the right antibodies. Right here, well, as long as it is increasing your antipathogen activity, then this is a positive. High filtering efficiency, high air permeability, self-cleaning, reusability, and toxicity. So it's, an, it's in a smart face mask. Numerous metal oxides they could use and stable and, are, and also possess significant antimicrobial properties. One in particular is interesting. They get into two-dimensional nanomaterials. Amongst all popular classes of two-dimensional nanomaterials, again, include graphene. Graphene is, is the most promising class of two-dimensional man- nanomaterial, along with its oxidized form, graphene oxide. It's funny how this fake news story that was supposed to be completely tinfoil is right here in the discussion. It's, uh, you guys know this. I shouldn't play the, the fool with you guys. It's obvious we know this. It's been in peer-reviewed science long before COVID-19. I just continue to think it's interesting how it's regarded as the, the, the term itself is somehow lunacy. <laughs> Because they've been taught that. Because the corporate media stooges might actually believe that because that's what CDC told them. Or however you want to think about it. But yes, graphene oxide in your mask to help you stop viruses. Recently, this paper reported, and this is uh, Gazwami et al., reported graphene air filter containing a face mask fabricated by a fused deposition modeling strategy with 8.2% of bacterial filtration efficacy. The reported mask also exhibited ex- efficient capture of SARS-CoV-2. It's weird. Like, why? So if we can see this overlap, like, is it, is it that crazy that they would think about this in the context of an injection? Well, no, because they've talked about it openly. But to the corporate media, it's lunacy. They, just, they, they deposited graphene on a commercial surgical mask using laser absorb, ablation, which improved its photothermal, super hydrophobic, and self-cleaning capabilities with a static contact angle of 140 degrees. Additionally, numerous companies such as Bontoan, Zen Graphene Solutions, Graphene Composite Limited, Planner Tech, and all these different companies, applications, and uh, that's one of them too, have developed antiviral graphene and its derivatives based on these kind of face masks and advanced smart features, self-cleaning, reusability, and so on. It's funny how the reusability, they're the ones telling you that you should... Like, it's just so funny, all these things that we were pointing out that reusing them is super dangerous and all these things that we knew and you're, all these moms scream that you were a conspiracy theorist. You know, it's clear that we were right. And then just down here, I think it listed off a couple things. It says quantum dots, by the way, is that's Robert Langer. He's the one that spearheaded that entire direction, are the most studied zero-dimensional nanomaterials and have been used in various applications. So it's not new. It's been used. The most common quantum dots are graphene quantum dots, polymer quantum dots. And it lists right here, graphene oxide and silver nanoparticle-based mask. Not new, right? So the point is the Internet of Things is necessary to be able to use artificial intelligence to drive the direction for health. Without the nanotechnology, there's no interconnected part for that, right? That's not how this works. So they need the nan. I just want to make this clear. The nanotechnology needs to be inside your body to achieve the kind of things they're talking about. And it's not a secret. To some people that may sound like crazy, but these studies have been around for, for decades almost talking about this direction. Here is a, this is from 2014. This is long before COVID-19 mania. Graphene oxide could turn into liquid crystal droplets, may lead to drug delivery systems and biosensors. My point in showing you this is it's not new. Here's peer-reviewed science about it. This is from none other than Charles Lieber. 
2006. Look at that. Nanowire-based biosensors. And the point about this, I've always been showing you with a Lieber-Langer overlap, is that they've worked playing off each other's work for decades to ultimately create the direction we're in. And this is the idea of under-the-skin surveillance, sort of as um, Harari always points out. We're in the age of under-the-skin surveillance. That's what he tells you, because that's what they're working on. And guess what this includes as well? I mean, you can read the paper itself, which does include this, but just looking at the source material, everything about this is in this direction. 2006, guys. Graphene biosensors. Graphene-based gas sensors. Complementary metal oxide semiconductor chip for biomedical sensor applications. Optoelectromechanical multi-model biosensor with graphene active region. This is, all, this is just the source material. Graphene interface with biological cells. But it's fake news, though, right? Graphene-based single bacterium resolution bio-device interfacing graphene derivatives with nanoscale and microscale biocomponents. All right, so Charles Lieber in 2006 was working on nanowire-based biosensors for your internal body using graphene and graphene derivatives. So it's, it's this, why, why is this such a crazy concept? Now, it's important to understand that, I, well, I'll get to it when I get to this right up here to get into the, the concept of whether this is in the injections. But I think it's really important to realize before we even get into that, that it's not crazy to ask this question. And this overlaps with more than just an injection. I'm convinced at this point that the COVID-19 aspect was a stepping stone in the larger direction and possibly a massive experiment, which is really what I think. But the bottom line is it's not new. So here we have them telling you, yeah, this is the future drug delivery system, as Charles Lee has been working on it for a decade before that, working on this exact direction. And even going back to 2000 or forward 2011, this is being used in open discussion about exactly what I argue might very well be what was used. Biocompatible transistor the size of a virus. Enable two-way communication with individual cells. Devising a biological interface in which a nanoscale device can actually communicate with a living organism. Virus-sized transistors. This is Charles Lieber. Says here that when he finally engineered a tiny device and tried to insert it into a cell, well, he killed the cell pretty quickly. But, of course, when they use the same thing that they now use for the COVID injection, the nanowire with a fatty lipid layer, well, that pulls it in easily. When a man-made structure is as small as a bacteria, he says, or a virus, it can behave the way biological structures do. So as I always point out, how do we know that's not COVID-19? How do we know that in and of itself didn't become the problem? Tests of the device indicate that it could be used not only to measure activity within neurons, heart cells, muscle fibers, for example, but also to measure two distinct signals within a single cell simultaneously biosurveillance under the skin because the transistor also allows the application of a voltage pulse. Such devices might one day provide hybrid biological digital computation. Look at that. Or deep brain stimulation. That's what Elon Musk is working on. Parkinson's patients interface the prosthetics. That's the Neuralink. The point is, this is the overlap to all of it. The overlap with the ejection technology, the overlap with the under the skin biosurveillance. And now that we're stepping into the internet of nano things direction, the question is, how do they achieve that? Injectable meshes for neural recordings. This is going back to 2015. Also, Charles Lieber, injecting electronics with a syringe. See how this is going? 2023, again, all the way to recently, stitching flexible electronics into the brain using a syringe. So, I saw this today, which is what kind of opened this conversation in my mind that I wanted to follow up on. Now, I've been seeing this floated around since the beginning of the year. 
you know, I've been talking about the idea of graphene oxide many times, which kind of made me laugh today when I put the link out. I've, I even saw comments already where someone's like, finally, he talks about this. I'm like, you mean except this time or this time or this time here or that time there or that time there or all these other shows that I talk about it? You know, it's just funny. People have a complete illusion about what some of us do because they're in a community that lies about what we are. And that becomes the discussion. Whitney Webb never talks about X, Y, and Z. You mean other than these 14 shows? <laughs> Happens all the time. It's pretty sad. The point, though, is that I've talked about this a lot. And my opinion has always been, going back even to our first conversation with Whitney and I, that both of us argued that this seems like something that has truth to it. That there's more, that, more than likely my ultimate opinion was that it feels like this is almost intentionally being hyperbolic so it drives us away from the reality that this might actually be used or might be used in the future. Right. It might not even be in the current thing. It might be just something they want us to push back on so that when it does get used, we think it's conspiracy theory. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could look at it. My point, though, is that there's not a reason to dismiss this. Now, I reached out to a couple of doctors you guys know well that I'm not going to mention just because the, the, the whole point was mo most of them were like, no, nah, I don't really want to talk about this because I don't think this is genuine and I don't want to give it any credence. And, you know, and I understand that. But as you guys know, I make a point to dive into these uncomfortable conversations because somebody has to. It's important to break these down and show what we can prove. And that's why I get attacked from the left and the right, because we, nobody likes that. Because they like it to be hyperbolic and left-right extremes. That's how this game is played, as I've been saying a lot lately, because I do think it's a game. But the point is, I saw this, and this has been circulating, I think, and, and I, the ex expose. Put, now, as much as I don't like the title they used, the expose did a great job on this. As I said last time, this, this was just the David Icke post, same title. But when you read the expose post, it's, they break, there's a lot of nuance. And what it really does say is that ultimately, and this is the died suddenly account, which you know my opinion of, you know, framing this as now you understand why they tried to hide it. And this is absolutely the truth. And it's just, that's the typical hyperbolic, non, no source material kind of garbage you get from these platforms. But the point is that here is the link, the, the, the Pfizer document they keep pointing at from 2020, but as, as far as I see, it was only really released in 2023 because of the point they tried to drag their feet and say 75 years, and this could be one of the reasons why. I quite frankly think it's the stuff that we right now know are killing people, and this may be one of them, but the stuff they also didn't want us to see was that their own study showed you it was 36% more dangerous, or that the spike protein was clearly dangerous, or, you know, that's far more important, in my opinion, in the moment to hide, because it's blatant. Unless this is a bigger step, which might also be possible, but here's what it says. Now, what I was going to say in general was that the, the expose did a, a good breakdown of this, and they make it very clear, which these other accounts don't, and actually, quite frankly, lie about what this shows. The expose made it clear this is not verbatim showing you that this is inside the injection. What it's showing you is that they use a test process. They use it, there's a, a testing process in the manufacturing, which they use to produce aspects of these things. Now, the argument they make in the, in the article is that ultimately there's potentially a residue left, which I think is a valid argument, but I don't know if we can prove that. Ultimately, the argument being that this reduced graphene oxide ultimately is going, there is a residual overlap, which even if you think it's a very small amount, it's dangerous, and then they're lying about it. But let's read what it says here. Now, it's, it's a lot of kind of, you know, hard to understand things, but it says for twin strep tagged P2S, which is the spike protein, one of them, for microliter purified protein at 0.5 milligrams were applied to gold quantifoil mesh grids freshly overlaid with graphene oxide. The sample was blotted using, oh, and here, I should show you this first, by the way, just so you guys do see this is a Pfizer document. There's no question. 
This is indeed in their information. And it's only listed once in the entire document, right? It's the only time it mentions this. And when this whole discussion is about basically this test to, to, I'll just read exactly what it says. Binding kinetics of P2S2 immobilized human ACE2 and neutralizing monoclonal antibody by biolayer interferometry. Going forward, it says the sample was blotted. When we talked about the blots, that, that's not an injection. That's the, that's these, these are tests they're running. Using a vitrobot mark four for four seconds and a force of minus two before being plunged into liquid ethene cooled by liquid nitrogen. Right, so it's just going on big that saying what this is. Data were collected from each grid over the different ranges uh, on the fly motion correction. There's one part I, I didn't highlight it. I was trying to, it says particle heterogeneity was filtered out with 2D, 3D classification. The remaining 58,295 particles in the three RBD down confirmation were refined to give a final model at 3.229A. The atomic model was rigid. Uh, where was it? I thought that was basically it. Uh, Alternating with manual binding and coot. I thought there was another part in there. Anyway, the bottom line was the first part. I thought there was another part that I should have highlighted. But anyway, this is a test, right? This is a process of manufacturing to test. Now, and, and again, this is, I should actually, I should just, I think it's even in here. Of course not, because they don't ever give you a source material because that's how this platform works. Let's see if I grab it here. There we go. You guys can read this for yourself. And one of the reasons why I didn't even have it up is because there's a lot of other stuff in this article that I don't necessarily agree with. Things that I, for instance, like they get into the discussion of, oh, this is the older one. Shoot. Here we go. And also they keep reposting this, which is interesting to me anyway, because it's the same document. But they get into things like the lipid nanoparticle conversation, which we've gone over. Right. Yes, they're published just not for human use, but the argument is at the very least, which they don't seem to point at, is that it's a different company. It wasn't Cayman, and that company did only have research versions and not lab, you know, in body versions. The argument being that this other place does, and it's not Cayman. So, anyway, that, all, all that aside, that's not the point of today. There's a lot of other stuff in here that you can read for yourself. My only point at, and then well, actually, one point before I go past it is to think about this original conversation. Right. We, this is the one that Whitney and I talked about. This same group. Isn't the argument that it was 98 percent graphene oxide? Wasn't that the point to begin with? Right. So why are we still pointing at the original group and saying that they were correct, but it's only a small residual overlap? I don't know. I, I just I find it hard to there's some there's parts of this that are intentionally deceptive, I feel. But back to the point. Here's what it says in regard to gold quantifoil. It says, gold, quantifoil gold is a holy carbon film with gold supporting mesh material used for cryo-EM research to support biological samples. Right? So it's a sample process. And then it says, graphene oxide support film is a super thin, naturally hydrophilic layer placed over the holy lacy or quantifoil support film on copper and gold grids. Pre-treatment of graphene oxide support films is unnecessary and blah, blah, blah. So the point is it's a testing process. It's quite clear. But what I think is important here, well, for, before I even go past it, the point bottom line is that it's not something we should be dismissing because it's clearly something that was used in the process that might have residual overlap. And I think that's a fair point to make. But more than that, if we can look back and show you, here's 2014, elect, electrically controlled drug delivery from graphene oxide nanocomposite films. Isn't that what we were just pointing at in some degree? 
So the point is that this is something that's not new. It's been worked at for a long time. So why is the discussion completely dismissed? And is it not possible that it would be used in a way that was surreptitious? Of course that's possible. Here is from 2013. Graphene and graphene oxide as new nanocarriers for drug delivery applications. Wasn't that exactly what we're talking about? Isn't that what they call fake news? Here's one, a, the new era of vaccines, the nanovaccinology. And you could dive through this. It's, it doesn't get into specific graphene or oxide, but it talks about the metal particles and how it gets. It's the same general conversation. Antibio performance of graphene-based materials with an emphasis on COVID-19, 2021. So how, is exactly, how exactly can they literally be researching graphene oxide in the context of medical treatments, and yet they laugh when people bring it up? Isn't that interesting? With an emphasis on graphene and its derivatives, including graphene oxide. And yet, and, and, and also in, in graphene quantum dots, right? So you see the overlap there, and that's Robert Langer. But 2021, and they're talking about injections and all these different overlaps with antiviral effort from graphene, and it's literally for COVID-19, and people get laughed out of town for bringing it up. 2020, recent progress of graphene oxide as a potential vaccine carrier and adjuvant. So here's the point here. Graphene oxide is a new nanocarrier, right? And then they follow up and recent progress. So it went right into 2020 and further as they're working on this as exactly what they tell you is crazy. As a vaccine carrier and adjuvant. Isn't it ridiculous how clear this stuff here? Here's a patent for it from 2020. Nano coronavirus recombinant vaccine taking graphene oxide as a carrier. It's even been patented. And you could find the, uh, where was it again? Oh, I thought I had, oh, this is a different one. Either way, you can see this is uh, China overlap for sure. Now, Robert Langer, one of the main things he's literally been working on this whole time, controlled drug delivery. Robert Langer is the co-founder of Moderna, who worked with Robert, with Charles Lieber, quite literally. As we've covered with Whitney Webb and myself, Rob Langer, the coronavirus common denominator tied to Charles Lieber. I find that very concerning that all of their work has been leading. And then, like, don't forget, going back to 2006, you could show Charles Lieber working on exactly this, using graphene oxide conversations for the biosensing and the drug delivery. There's the overlap, which we showed you here. So don't forget that in 2021, <clears throat> Moderna specifically had to recall their doses in Japan after they found what they said was stainless steel contaminants. Now, isn't that something we should at least ask ourselves? I, and then he, this is even crazier. This was from the BBC. Same time. Japan finds black particles in the vaccine. And realize that we're, it's the, uh, I could have swore it said metal. I just read that. It's the same conversation. The point is, this one's just saying black particles, and yet they're over here reporting metal. So are we talking about black metal particles? I mean, why wouldn't this be something we would ask? Now, again, I'm not saying that proves that it's in this injection. I think it's, it behooves us to not jump down this hole without being able to absolutely prove it. And this is a good start. It's clearly involved, so shouldn't we, we should at the very least get some kind of explanation, which I doubt will happen. But here's where it gets even more concerning. This is from 2021. So, right, all this has been about how, look, they've been studying it, right? Well, it's already been used in this exact context. 
two times as far as I can see, more than that, I would argue, an mRNA vaccine delivered in hydrogel shows promise as a durable cancel, cancer, excuse me, immunotherapy. Well, Whitney talked about this in 2020. Coronavirus gives a dangerous boost to DARPA's darkest agenda. We talked about the in vivo nano platforms. So ways they can create like an mRNA platform in your body that produces their nano material. You, you must be able to see how all this overlaps. And you know what these all are down here? All that structure? That's carbon, carbon. You, when you look up carbon dioxide, excuse me, graphene oxide or graphene, that's the structure you get when this kind of 3D gra- graph of how it looks. So even DARPA was using imagery that suggested of that. But you get into the living foundries, the body producing what they need, and also the hydrogels. ARPA in vivo nano program has since helped to finance soft, flexible hydrogels that are ejected just beneath the skin to perform health monitoring. And then guess what? Sync to smartphone apps. That's what this is, guys. That is, at the very least, a graphene oxide-like substance being used. But graphene oxide is what they've been studying to be able to achieve that. Going back to 2006 and before about the censoring under your skin and using this, using all of their research. This is from 2022. The promise, and somebody just sent me this today. Thank you from the community of Discord. The promise of emergent nanobiotechnologies for in vivo applications and implications for safety and security. It says right here, the development and, and deployment of mRNA nanoparticle vaccines. We just talked about the ferritin nanoparticle vaccine. Right. That's overlap with the same exact stuff. And that is also using ferritin protein. We've gotten into that deep. I should just grab this. It's a whole big. There it is. <clears throat> I, I don't want to dive into it. So I'll talk about it for 20 minutes. It's an important conversation. You guys should watch <clears throat> the deadly lipid nanoparticle spike protein design and the new mod RNA ferritin nanoparticle universal flu vaccine. Now, the point is, this is talking about those exact kinds, the lipid nano, or see, the mRNA nanoparticle vaccines for COVID-19, for example, may revolutionize vaccine and therapeutics. It says right here, nanomaterials research and development is driven globally by major players. And this is important because everybody in the paradigm wants to point at just one side. China, Europe, Russia, the United States, primarily. All of them, possibly in league. In 2000, the United States created a government framework known as the National Nanotechnology Initiative to send the commercialization of nanotechnology. Don't forget, we saw Boris Johnson right in the beginning of COVID talk about nanobots swimming through your body. Remember that? Weird how that got real quiet after that. Since its inception, more than $35 billion have been invested in the the National Nanotechnology Initiative and has served as a global inspiration for other nations. For example, the European Union made a notable investment, $1.35 billion in the Graphene Flagship Project. Interesting how it's a fake news story, but they have something called the Graphene Flagship Project that's been driving the nanotechnology direction in health since the 10th, 2000. That makes you feel good, right? Carbon-based nanotubes, graphene, carbon, I mean, all these are under the versions of different vaccines they're making. It's not hard to see. Now, here is from 2023. It's the most recent one I can find. Recent progress in application of nano vaccines for enhancing mucosal immune responses. You know, the whole thing that we knew wouldn't happen because they're injecting it in your arm for a respiratory virus, which plenty of doctors said, this is crazy. That'll never work. And it didn't. Shocking. Now they're going, here's what we'll use to fix that problem that we completely engineered. 
Guess what? Graphene oxide nanoparticles. So on the record, here is a vaccine that they're pushing for enhancing mucosal immunity in one case to things like COVID-19, but everything else too that literally includes graphene oxide in the injection. So here's an example of an injection right now being made that has graphene oxide, and yet it's still fake news story. Now, I'm still going to say that I don't think I'm convinced that it's inside this COVID-19 injection, but I'm absolutely open to this idea based on the information, but I think we should be very skeptical, especially since there's a lot of, again, people that I respect that are very concerned about where this goes. And I'm with you. That's why I've been very careful with this, because I believe we're being manipulated in some way, even if this is true. But we can prove that it's being used right now in injections exactly for this purpose. And this one is from influenza. Bob Langer, the coronavirus common denominator, tied to Charles Lieber. The research there is the crux of this, guys, I'm convinced. Now, to finish, we're going to talk about where this goes with artificial intelligence after this is successful and possibly already has happened, right? So either the point is this has already been done and our, our planet has been drenched in nanotechnology, nanobots and smart dust and whatever else we've talked about, which is undeniably true. They've been talking about this for 20 years. They've, it's been viable since 10, 15 years ago. I've shown you symposiums of 2010 talking about smart dust that was done then seven years ago. And how you could put it on, it's float it in the air and land on your skin and it's, it's, Smart Dustin uses your body's energy to, to actually function. Let me see this real quick. What was that under? Uh, here we go. It just even as I say it, people people might listen and might just, that sounds silly. But listen up. Talking to us. It's a great hack, but it's going to go away. The, the devices, the computing behind those interfaces aren't going to go away. They're going to just become invisible. We're still essentially the banging the rocks together stage for this sort of stuff. And you haven't really seen anything yet. So this is closer to the end of the vision. This is this powder-sized chip, um, and that's a salt crystal. So this is a small thing. It's something called the Mu chip from Hitachi. It's the smallest commercially available RFID system in the world and can be pulse-powered by radio waves. It doesn't require a battery. You can literally scatter this stuff like dust or embed it into a sheet of paper. And you know what the really interesting thing about this technology is? This was commercially released 10 years ago. So, so you please watch. It's called MakerCon. That's a, it was a huge symposium all the, more than a decade ago, and they talk about this, and that was seven years before that. And that's real, right? So whether, the, whether that's already been deployed, and the next step is just driving us into acceptance, or it's the next step that's going to put that out there. This is not a secret. Now, consider this with the concept, another video that you've seen many times that already has been discussed, which is weirdly also considered fake news. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine. Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Right, and it shows it passing between the family and the pregnant woman, and this was in 2020, a massive Euroscience open forum where they 
discussed all of this and it's still fake news. Right. The point is that whether or not it's already happened or it's about to, this is the future that is possible. That's, by the way, already being used in many ways. And it's about the idea of the Internet of Nano Things. And they cannot they cannot make this next big step without that being functional. And what do they need for that? Nanotechnology everywhere. So just think about the possibility there and ask yourself why it's so important to make something fake when you can prove at the very least it's being used in other things right now. And yet it's something we're supposed to dismiss. I quite frankly think it's because this is in fact something, whether it's this exact substance or something very, a very variation of it, that it will be used in this next direction. And by the way, again, that's what all of their science is telling us. This is the next step. This will be the future of vaccination. <laughs> that's what they're telling us. So ask yourself if and when that happens, if this is the kind of world you want to live in, because this is what we're talking about. When that happens, even if you think it revolutionizes healthcare, it allows this world to be unavoidable. Oh, hold on. Did I delete it? Welcome to the stage. No, this is it right here. Let me find the right spot here. It was, uh, let's see. Pretty much right there. 18. So this is the video I saw from him, but I want to show, I got, this is the actual full video. We'll, uh, Oh, you know what I was going to do first, actually? Okay, so we're going to play this. This will be the last two things we're going to play. This is one that many people have seen, and it's really alarming because this is like the next step. This is about the idea that and I, I've talked about this many times, using Wi-Fi to be able to hear what you're saying in a room or decide, you know, be able to see basically who's in that room, but also using it to basically read your thought. Not, I mean, I, remove basically to read your thoughts. That's not hyperbole. Now, before we get there, Let's go back to the ones you guys might have seen already that are important to set the stage for this. Now, this is Reekly in the Net talking about the World Economic Forum in January 2023 about, well, here's about technology that allows your thoughts to be monitored. Now, this is talking about implantable nanotechnology, like you're choosing that, right? This, which we'll get to next, is talking about without your consent. It's a very fine line. Now let's watch these two videos to see where this is already going, what the World Economic Forum has told you they're driving toward, and then let's finish with the alarming conclusion of that. First off, a video. Uh, it's going to make you see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive, and find love. Let's roll. You're in the zone. Even you can't believe how productive you've been. Your memo is finished. Your inbox is under control, and you're feeling sharper than you have in a decade. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song, sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure, your theta brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached, causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up, telling you to take a brain break. But what's that unusual change in your brain activity when you're asleep? It started earlier in the month. 
You send a text message to your doctor with a mental swipe of your cursor. Could you take a quick look at my brain data? Anything to worry about? Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team, whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about, given the policy against intra-office romance. I mean, even just right there, the fact that in real time, the point is she's dreaming about the person, and it goes, reminder, that's not okay. Is there anybody that doesn't feel wildly uncomfortable about this? Like, I don't think, I've never met a person that thinks this is what we should, other than people that enjoy the novelty of it. Right. That that want to become some kind of cyborg. And, you know, like there are people like that. But the average person does not want their thoughts to be accessible to your boss. I mean, this it's just so wildly over the top. But you can't help fantasizing just a little. But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity. And you know, what's really interesting, by the way, I didn't notice this last time. Look what blips on the screen right here. Watch. It says reminder, and then some red screen very quickly flashes, and it says seized. Look at that, subliminal, isn't it? They don't they, now that happens in the, later in the video, but they don't address it right there. So she's daydreaming about her her coworker. The brain data goes up on the screen, warning, and she keeps doing it, and then it goes seized. How terrifying is that? Do they seize her brain data to review? Do they seize? I mean. They're, they're not even hiding what this is. That your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity and shift your attention back to the present. You breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day mm. congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. You head home jamming to the music with your work-issued brain-sensing earbuds still in. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber cloud has... You know, the earbuds that are causing cancer and everybody that uses them. But, you know, great. All about your health. ...fallen over the office. Along with emails, text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees' brainwave data from the past year. I mean, it's, how is that not, like, chillingly terrifying? So the government can come in and seize your brain data? And the way they phrase this is the positive version they're showing you. They have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, of course, the point is, well, because we know only bad guys get held accountable, right? We shouldn't care. Or you're not guilty, are you? <laughs> Welcome to Orwell's 1984. They're looking for his co-conspirators. You discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your coworker and the people he has been working with. Of course, which can't be altered or manipulated or framed in any way, right? Because we have to trust the AI, right? <laughs> While you know you're innocent of any crime, you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture. Shaking, you remove your earbuds. Right. It ends right there. So that's the positive view. So you're totally innocent, but you're terrified because maybe, hey, hooray, great, good stuff. Welcome to the future. Really? What do you think? Is it a future you're ready for? You may be surprised to learn that it's a future that has already arrived. Everything in that video that you just saw is based on technology that is already here today. Artificial intelligence has enabled advances in decoding brain activity in ways that we never before thought possible. Yep, don't forget that's the next part. But before we get to that, 
here's what they're going to be doing in the meantime to, you know, shock you back into place if you don't do what you're supposed to. The newest way to monitor attention is through a device like this one. These are ear pods that are launching later this year. These ear pods, much like the video you watched earlier, are ear pods that can pick up brainwave activity and tell whether or not a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering. Okay, well, you might think, fine, but even if we can tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, you can't tell what they're paying attention to. You would be wrong. It turns out that you can not only tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, but you can discriminate between the kinds of things that they're paying attention to. Whether they're doing something like central tasks, like programming, peripheral tasks, like writing documentation, or unrelated tasks, like surfing social media or online browsing. When you combine brainwave activity together with other forms of software and surveillance technology, the power becomes quite precise. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with this? What do we do with technology that enables us to monitor brainwave activity for attention? Well, of course, we give you a shock scarf so we can make sure you're doing what we want you to. <laughs> of course. Do we embrace it? Do we resist it? I believe that there is a pathway forward with such technology, but it's putting it in the hands of employees, enabling them to use it for themselves as a choice, whether or not they want to focus, whether or not they want the technology in order to improve their own performance, but not using it as a measure of their brain metrics to decide whether to fire them. Of course, because no one's going to do that, right? <laughs> like, it's just so sick. You know, and don't forget, this woman is the one being framed as the person trying to help save you from this problem in her blue leather jacket. Hire them or to watch for their lagging cognitive decline over time and using it as a way to discriminate against. Oh, wait a minute. Son of a gun. Hold on. Wow, that's weird. Oh, son of a... That's crazy. I, I miss that. Oh, well. No, it's not going to make sense to somebody out there when I said shock scarf. I swear I had that video. The next thing she was going to show is using that technology as a scarf people could wear that shocks them when they fall asleep at the, at office, at the office. Now, in the interest of time, I'm not going to search for it. But the point is that this next part of it is where it gets most alarming. The idea that as she just described, it's already happening. Your thoughts are not secure. And soup, which is hot, it's plastic, it's melting in the hot translate from uh, image to brain patterns. And then, of course, they would hide the image. So this is an image of a giraffe that the computer has never seen. It's only looking at the fMRI data. And this is what the computer thinks the human is seeing. Yeah. Now, to get state-of-the-art... Here's where the combinatorial aspects, why you can start to see these are all the same demo. To do this kind of um, imaging, the latest paper, the one that happened even after this, which is already better, uses stable diffusion, uses the thing that you use to make art. Like, what should a thing that you use to make art have anything to do with reading your brain? But of course, it goes further. So in this one, they said, can they understand... Um, the inner monologue, the things you're saying to yourself in your own mind. Mind you, by the way, when you dream, your dream, like your visual cortex runs in reverse, so your dreams are no longer safe. Um, but we'll try this. So they had people watch a video and just narrate what was going on in the video in their mind. So there's a woman, she gets hit in the back, she falls over, 
This is what the computer reconstructed the person thinking. See, a girl looks just like me, get hit in the back, and then she is knocked off. So our thoughts like, are starting to be decoded. Yeah. Just think about what this means for authoritarian states, for instance. Or if you want to generate images that maximally activate your pleasure sensor, anything else. Okay. Which is already happening. Talk about chat GPT and all these things happening right now. We're being trained. Okay, but let's keep going, right? To really get the sense of the combinatorics of this. How about, can we go from Wi-Fi radio signals? You know, sort of like the Wi-Fi routers in your house. They're bouncing off radio signals that work sort of like sonar. Can you go from that to where human beings are? To image? How long have I been talking about this? Like, this is not new. This has been around for a long time. Just so what they did is they had, um, you know, a camera looking at a space with people in it. Um, that's sort of like coming in from one eye. The other eye is the radio signals, so sonar from the uh, Wi-Fi router. And they just learned to predict, like, this is where the human beings are. Then they took away the camera. So all the AI had was the language of radio signals bouncing around a room. And this is what they're able to reconstruct. Real-time 3D pose estimation. Anywhere you're around Wi-Fi, this is possible. I mean, that's crazy, and it's not new. So this idea that we're, like, that means they've 3D mapped pretty much everything, it would seem. Right? So suddenly, AI has turned every Wi-Fi router into a camera that can work in the dark, specially tuned for tracking living beings. Welcome to your future. This is what's already happening. Now ask yourself what happens when, if it maybe, if it already has, when we step into this fully functional internet of nano things and it's internal. It's in things you're drinking. It's in the water. It's all real, guys. They're right now talking about the idea of using these treatments in water to solve problems. I mean, this is a dangerous step in a very, very clearly dangerous direction. And I think what's problematic is that we can't even have an honest conversation about this, which then makes me think that there is something that we should be looking further at. So, you know, as always, there's some people that want this to be definitive and say, you know, I, I don't think that's the case. I think that based on the information, and if there's something new, please send it to me. I'll cover it again. That it seems that at the very least, there's on one side of this, in a clearly hyperbolic, almost borderline misinformation coverage coming from the typical kind of accounts that you would expect. To, you know, and then people like, I would argue, the expose that's doing a very discern, you know, a, a very a good job breaking down what we can prove. And, and showing you the reality. You know, this is what it says. It's a test. And here's what we think. And, and that's, I, I, I respect that. And I think that we need to move forward on this with what we can prove and just acknowledge that it's very clear that there's a direction that is playing out right in front of us. And continue to do our best to see if we can prove that it's something internally. But think about all the misinformation that's flown around based on what's now being said it's proven. So it was 98%. Isn't that what Stu Peters and us were telling? 98% graphene oxide. And now it's, oh, but it's just residual. But we're right. We won. Wait a minute. That's not even remotely what people were saying. Just we need to be very careful with the way this stuff is used. Right. So I hope this is, you know, elucidating some of this for some people to realize that this isn't a fake conversation, that there is something really going on here. I think it's much bigger than the injection itself. I think it's about the way that we get pushed into the next phase of what's happening. So hopefully you guys will think for yourselves and question all of it. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.